The cry of emergency is an intoxicating one, producing an exhilarating freedom from the need to consider the rights of others and productive of the desire to repeat it again and again. And I thought that was just a fantastic, uh, the whole aim of practical politics is to keep the populace alarmed and hence clamorous to be led to safety mm -hmm. by yeah. an endless series of hobgoblins. Take away those diamonds, I don't need those rocks. A second-hand car and a new pair of socks. I want liberty without conditions. So welcome all to Chasing Liberty. It's been a little while since we've been on the air again, but we've got uh, Latimer Alder back for round two. We're going to be looking at climate change and what's involved in it. And possibly maybe a little bit of COVID. We'll see how it goes. So from a van here in France, over to Latimer Alder. Thanks, John, from uh, a very wet and thundery uh, Thames Valley on a Sunday evening. Um, thought I'd start this week with a couple of quotations. Uh, one that I found very recently from Adrian Hardiman, who was one of the chief justices of the Supreme Court of Ireland. He was trying a case in which one of the plaintiffs had said, this, this was such an emergency that we did not, have, did not need to go through proper legal channels. And he said, in reply, basically saying that's rubbish, he said, the cry of emergency is an intoxicating one, producing an exhilarating freedom from the need to consider the rights of others and productive of the desire to repeat it again and again. And I thought that was just a fantastic uh, introduction to some of the things that have been happening recently with us and look likely to be happening in the future as well. Well, it's, it's, it's kind of a summation of what's going on in the entire world over the last 18 months, isn't it? It is exactly that, which is why when I, when I read it, I thought, wow, this man was, uh, was, you know, hit the nail on the head. Sadly, he died a couple of years ago. Otherwise, I'm sure he'd have come up with some other great things. But I think if that was going to be my memorial, that I'd said something like that, I think I'd be pretty pleased that it was a life well spent, actually. Yeah, absolutely. And I've got another one, which is much better known. Uh, it's been around for 100 years from Henry Mencken, the uh, American philosopher, politician and wit. And he, he said, again, on similar lines, the whole aim of practical politics is to keep the populace alarmed and hence clamorous to be led to safety mm -hmm. by yeah. an endless series of hobgoblins, most yeah. of them imaginary. Uh, I, I like that quote. I like that very much. It's great. H.L. Mencken was a man who was many witty aphorisms, but again, that one's very appropriate. Yeah, isn't it? And and the thing is, you can all you have to do is look back, you know, over the years, and you can see that applies to everything. You know, way back from what, you know, you can go back to the Vietnam War, the Cold War. The yep. Korean War, the 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 um, the, cli the climate, the big freeze that was coming in the seventies. You know, yep. you can you can apply it to all the the war on terror, the war on drugs, and yep. and of course climate change, can't you? Yep, yep, yep. All those things. Um, but the one that I thought I might just make a few remarks about most recently has been obviously COVID, and yeah. um, it seems to me that now we're nearly 18 months into COVID, we can start to look at it, one would hope, with not the panic eyes of what happened in March 2020, but with some slightly more detached way, not suggesting either of us panicked, but many people did, um, and look at what's actually happened in the great pandemic. And yeah. the answer, when you look around the world and you look at the numbers, as I do, is... Not very much. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and to actually to take one of your quotes, um, Latimer, and to and to to re re kind of formulate it, it's like um, pandemic. So what? Yeah, exactly. And, and and I just checked the numbers just before we came on air, and and around the world over the last eighteen months, about one person in every two thousand in the world has died with covid yeah which is about four million people four million people is a lot of people 
Yeah. 7,900 million people are on the planet. So it's one, you know, 99.95% of us have survived this great uh, disease that is going supposedly going to kill us all. Just well, clarify that one. I think you said 7,000, but I think it was 7 billion, was it? 7,900 million is what I should right. have said. Okay. Yeah. yeah, okay. Cool. That's just under 8 billion people. A billion yeah. is a thousand million. Even in the UK, where we're more badly hit than on average around the world, it's still less than one in 500. Yeah. So 99.8% of us have survived. I think it's 99.81% of us have and, survived this pandemic. And even then, we've, we've still got to clarify it because. Those aren't people that died from COVID. Those are people that died within 28 days of a yeah. test in yeah. the UK. Yeah, I'm, I, I try to be careful to use the term with COVID. Yeah. Because it said we, we had, you know, you, you can die with athlete's foot. Doesn't mean to say it kills you, but you had athlete's foot. So let's, <laughs> let's try and... And it's very contagious as well. It's even more contagious than COVID. Don't have it. <laughs> <laughs> so I can imagine in the next 50 years ago or so there'll be some kind of pandemic of athlete's foot can oh, you remember the big athlete's foot outbreak of 2053 <laughs> <laughs> but there always has been it's particularly around gyms and things like that oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. one of the reasons why you're asked to clean your feet before you go in a swimming pool and it yeah. makes sense to do that but it doesn't make, make sense to say hey don't go swimming because you might get an athlete's foot yeah exactly yeah. And, and with those numbers, when you look back at all the dra dramatic, excuse me, dramatic and drastic actions yeah. that were taken to restrict people's liberties and freedoms and so forth, you've got to wonder, what was all this about? Are we back in the, the idea of Mr. Hardiman, Mr. Justice Hardiman, the idea of um, the cry of emergency is an intoxicating one? Seems to me it surely was. Well, that's that's a good point. And and of course, with with the ramping up of um, of restrictions at a time when we should really be thinking that we've we've reached health immunity and we should be living with it, mm. are are we going down this whole Chinese social credit look? Especially with Boris coming out with a, you know, if you if you um, if you eat well and exercise, you'll get rewards. What the hell's where the hell did this come from? Oh uh, well, that. That comes from the kindergarten, if I remember correctly. That's eat your greens and then you can watch the cartoons on the telly, Latimer. Yeah, yeah. Not sure we had cartoons on the telly when I was a kid, but you get the basic idea. That's that's treating people as children. Yes, um, Many people, unfortunately, seem to quite like that idea. I can't say it feels to me. Um, and when you look back further into lockdown, the thing that still amazes me is that nobody ever seem to think of any costs involved. They they clearly thought that, let's be charitable, let's assume that they thought they were doing the right thing by locking us all down and stopping us going to work and stopping children going to school and all that. Mm. And they thought that would save lives and they thought that would be a good thing to do. But let's give them credit for having good intentions, even if they weren't necessarily what actually were achieved. But none of them seem to give a moment's thought to the idea that this does not come for nothing. There is a price to be paid for shutting down schools and shutting down industries and shutting down hospitality and all that. And the price is kind of linear, I suspect, that it gets more and more. The more days you have a lockdown, the bigger that price becomes. It may even be going... You know, there, come, there will come tipping points where people say, well, we've paid such a price, we just cannot continue. And then there is a huge price to be paid as companies go back bankrupt and so mm -hmm. forth. Yep, yep. I, and I was, I'll be honest, I've paid that price. My my company, my IT business, went to the wall. Um, well, there was just no way we could continue. And, and, and I had to fold that. And um, hence, I'm now living in a, a – well, I'm not quite living in a, a motorhome in France because um, we've rented a house. You know, our, our life has changed completely because of this situation, and and we've gone from tax-paying British subjects to we're now um, we're now looking at full residency in France at the moment. Well, there, there's a fantastic 
personal uh, confirmation that that this is you know this is what's happening. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I was walking around the town centre of one of our local towns with my girlfriend last night after dinner. Um, two years ago, this was a prosperous, thriving town. We're in the Thames Valley. Yeah. Thames Valley is one of the most prosperous parts of the UK. It's one of the most prosperous parts of Europe. You know, the most prosperous part of the southeast, and the southeast is the most prosperous area region of all of certainly was of all of the EU. And one third of the premises that were once prosperous businesses are now boarded up. Yeah, uh, and I can't, you know even the charity shops are leaving, and that, that's really not a good place to be. Yeah, and that's a direct consequence of the emergency that has killed or killed with one person in 500 and and those numbers just still don't add up to me no the numbers don't add up and and to be fair over the last 18 months you have continually or every day almost without without stopping pointed out the numbers and pointed out that the numbers don't add up and anyone with half a brain would look at that and go you know what He's right. The numbers don't add up. What the hell's going on? Well, that's very kind of you to say so. But uh, and, and yeah, I mean, that was what I was trying to do. Um, ne I've never been able to get get them to to be anything other than a matter of a mild concern that yeah, we better be a little bit more careful than perhaps we normally are. But beyond that, I, I couldn't can't see anywhere in the world looking at around any of the countries where it's got much beyond that. At any time, yeah, so I, I think we've and, and, then, and then we've also got the control countries. You know, the ones that never yeah. locked down, yeah. and um, and we'd look at them and and we have to say, well, maybe the control countries were right because they seem to have done better. Well, I don't know if they've done better. They've certainly done no worse. Yeah, and then, yeah. I mean, the classic one is Sweden. If you look at Sweden, Sweden comes among European countries. It's pretty much in the middle of the pack. Yeah. So yeah, Italy right. and Spain and France and so forth have done a little bit worse. Some Norway and Finland have done a little bit, but Germany have done a little bit better. Mm -hmm. But if lockdown works, Sweden should be the one that is way out of line. And it isn't. It's just in the middle there. The advantage it has got is that it did not have to pay, pay the price of the lockdown that we, everybody else is paying. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the, looking back, lockdown was a huge global experiment. It was the thing that was unprecedented. Nobody had ever tried it before. And now, now we look at it a year, 18 months into it, you say, well, actually, it didn't do very much, apart from being catastrophically expensive. And yet, and yet, people are still using it. I mean, look at Australia recently. You know, Sydney has... What, yeah. they have one guy of 85 dies yeah. and and a couple of others in hospital and and suddenly a million people are locked down yeah well I, hobgoblins mate hobgoblins <laughs> and and australia when you look at when you look at oceana as a as an entirety so oceana did really well so mm -hmm. their their death rate was something like you know and, and and I'm just I'm just shooting the breeze here, but if if our death rate was something like um, you know um, 900 per million or, so, or something, theirs would be something around 90. So they yeah. they did really well. Okay, their death rate was Oceania's death rate was much lower than the West, much yeah. much lower. And I'd need to check to get the exact figures. Right. So don't don't quote me on those figures. I just I just threw out there. But, um, but John, remember one thing: those numbers that you talk are. Per million. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. When you say they're doing, you know, nine, 90, not 900, okay, but it's out of a million people. Yeah, so yeah. It's still a very low number for both. Yes, it is. It is a, yeah. it is a, it's a very low number for both, and it's substantially lower for Oceania. Yeah. So and then when you look at... Ten, 10 times better on a very small number. Yeah. And then when you look at the countries within Oceania that, that have had lockdowns and not lockdowns you know for instance like um like thailand and yeah. and and taiwan and and china, and china itself to a degree and then australia and new zealand new zealand comes pretty close to the top but australia comes right bang in the middle 
It's yeah. right bang in the middle, and they had one of the hardest lockdowns ever. And that they're right bang in the middle, and you've got other countries down there like Japan, which constitutionally can't lock down, and and they they actually did better than Australia. Oh, uh, you you you're you're ahead of me on that those numbers, John. But uh, I do know that New Zealand uh, people do cite New Zealand saying, "Wasn't it a fantastic lockdown?" Well, yeah, it is if you're a thousand miles from anywhere, which. <laughs> very few countries are and you can afford to cut yourself off from the rest of the world forever because and that seems to be the only way that they can continue that that policy yeah and and, and the one that gets me is 21 percent of new zealand's economy is tourism and not a I lot think, of that's going to be internal i think 21 percent of new zealand's economy was tourism is yes i think I think you're right. Yeah. Do you remember Charles Darwin when he was out on the Beagle, the famous voyage where he clarified his ideas on evolution? Well, I'm he not quite to... old enough to remember it, but I well, knew that happened. But he, he went to the Galapagos Islands where lots of special evolutionary things had happened yep. because they were so far removed from anywhere else, there were no external influences, and so evolution could take place all by itself within that little micro world. Yeah, I think, I think New Zealand are taking that as their uh, their example. Yeah, I think they are. I think they are. Well, right. I mean, good luck to them. Lots of them haven't died of COVID, but they ain't going to get much of the rest of the world involved in their country if if with that policy. Yeah, and and I might be wrong, but I thought I'd read something about they were having a kind of outbreak of like regular flu because people are coming out of their they're lockdowns and they haven't been exposed to anything for, you know, months. And suddenly they're catching all sorts of things that, you know, they would normally catch all throughout the year. My my local football team is starting its um, programme or has started its programme of pre-season friendlies. So it sounds a bit like the same. The immune system is needing to get match fit for something because it's been yeah. not not tested for a while. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, I wanted a couple other things I wanted to talk about, John, apart from COVID. So yeah. should we move on? Let's yeah, do let's do that. And I, I thought I was going to the next one I'm going to talk to is is net zero and the climate okay. emergency and all that. Okay. And the reason I wanted to talk about that was it also falls straight out of Mr. Hardiman's quote: "The cry of emergency is an intoxicating one, producing a, an exhilarating freedom from the need to consider the rights of others." Yep, and it seems that the idea of the climate emergency has now so seized our politicians that they are heading down the idea of net zero. Uh, a net zero idea is that by 2050, overall in the UK, we will make no net carbon emissions. Yeah, yeah, uh, and that somehow by doing this. Uh, the planet will be saved from whatever hobgoblin it is that is menacing it. Um, and the hobgoblin appears to be, it might be a degree and a half warmer overall. Um, yeah. Okay. Can, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Do you know how much of the CO2, of the anthropogenic CO2 output that the UK is responsible for? Yeah. It's about 1%. Right. So that's 1% off, and, and and correct me if I'm wrong here, that's 1% off 0.004% of a gas that comprises of 0.003% of the atmosphere. Would that be right? Uh, oh, sorry, 0.03% of the atmosphere. Right. Let's go back to parts per million. It's easy to right. do it okay. We've been talking about deaths per million, and, and yeah. by, happy, by happy or unhappy chance, the units that you use for deaths per million and the units used for carbon dioxide are very similar. Okay. Let's, uh, let's start. What it used to be, say, 100 years ago, that the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere was about 300 parts per million. Yep. And they, people say that is the level before the Industrial Revolution. Okay, let, let's assume that's right. Yeah. Way back before that, it's been at 3,000 parts per million. We know yeah. that fossils and maybe even higher than that 4,000 parts per million. Cambrian explosion yep and all that stuff yep but, but 
200, 150 years ago, it was 300 parts per million. We, by our efforts as humanity in burning fossil fuels, have increased that to just over 400 parts per million. So 100 years, so you can, you can think of it, 100 years of burning carbon fuels, we've gone from 300 parts per million to 400 parts per million. So the net increase has been 100 parts per million. But, but can we actually say that? Because how do we know that it was us that did that? Because as you yeah. said, in the, in, the, in the far past, it used to be at 3,000 parts per million. The far past was a long time ago. Um, how can you be sure that we did that? There are, you, there are no other really credible sources of the appropriate size. People talk about volcanoes, and yes, volcanoes do give off CO2, but not enough to, to do all that. Mm-hmm. Now, if you then look back and say, well, of that 100 parts per million, how much is attributable to the UK? R- very roughly, we, we give out 1% of all the carbon emissions that there are at the moment. Okay. So if you want to put the UK's contribution in some sort of context, it's been one part per million over 100 years. So if, if we'd been net zero, say we'd been net zero all that time, yep. instead of 400 parts per million, it would be 399. Yep. Yeah, okay. And that, that, there's your first starting point, because if you think <laughs> that, that we us doing that is going to make a big difference, well, I'm afraid you've got it wrong. Yeah. And one of the reasons you, you've got it wrong is that the other countries who are much bigger emitters than us and you've talked about Oceania and Asia recently, uh, mm-hmm. but India and China particularly, and the rest of those Asian people, they have absolutely no interest in reducing their carbon emissions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They are burning coal like it's going out of fashion and looking for more. And yeah. they've got to continue to do so. And the reason for that is they have very rapidly growing populations. Yeah. The rapidly growing populations would like to get rich and prosperous as we are in the West. And they know the way to do that is to get cheap, reliable energy sources. And the cheap, reliable energy sources, as we discovered 200 years ago in the Industrial Revolution, are fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. Yep. If we want to go back and look at what, it's, what it would be like without fossil fuels, it's the idea of net zero. Well, actually, we've been there. We know what that's like because we were there 200 years ago before the Industrial Revolution. Was that the Dark Ages? Say again? Was that the Dark Ages? Well, I don't know about the Dark Ages, but it was certainly the time of the medieval peasants when people's normal people's lives were described as nasty, brutish and short. So I don't want to go back there. No. But, But let's think about what energy sources they had in those days. And they, they, they really had three forms of energy. There was wind energy, uh, water energy, and animal and human energy. Yeah. So animal and human energy, you know, you had horses to do the ploughing, you had humans to do the hoeing and the harvesting and all those things. You, you had no tractors or anything like that to, to bring in the harvest. And you worked for the Lord, and the Lord told you what to do and what you had to do as a medieval peasant was usually pretty boring stuff. Hedging and ditching and all that stuff that you can do now with a tractor. Yeah, yeah. You had water power, and we've had water power for at least going back to the Doomsday Book. They, when the Doomsday Book recorded wealth of villages and towns, it you know they recorded the number of water mills there were there. Water mills and cattle, and <laughs> how many acres, I think, were the three big things. Um, they were a great way of getting what little power they could to turn a shaft and make the shaft turning from the water do some work. Yeah. And they're still here. Um, that We call them now hydro, but the technology yeah. is exactly the same as it was in the Doomsday Book. Nothing's changed. It's water so, turning. Yeah. So we used, to make bread. we used to make bread from them, and now we make bread using electric ovens instead. Yeah, well, yeah. You, you probably burnt some charcoal to heat the ovens, but you, you yeah. use the water to grind the flour to make the bread to, that you put in the ovens. Yeah. And somewhere around about 1200 AD, um, I believe in Mesopotamia is the earliest I can find, people invented windmills. Mm-hmm. 
and windmills, much the same as water. The only difference between a windmill and a water mill is that it's air moving the veins, not water. Yeah. And and at the end of a you 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 air moves the the veins, the veins turn a shaft, and at the end of the shaft you can do work, and that work can be a grindstone, a sawmill, or an electric power generator. Yeah. And just because we've changed the name to wind turbines doesn't mean anything has changed in the technology. It's exactly the same as it was in the 12th century. Yeah, yeah and, and, and it doesn't really work when the wind's not blowing, does it? Well, there was a lovely example last week, which I followed quite closely on Twitter. Yeah. And for nearly 24 hours, all of the UK's wind power that's uh-huh. the biggest wind fleet in the world, the most advanced and the biggest investment and all that. Yep. In nearly 24 hours, it did not manage to produce 1% of the electricity needs of the country. Mm. Mm. And the week before, for yeah. three days, it did not manage to get to 3%. Yep. And there's, your, there's yep. your big problem with wind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it doesn't matter if you build bigger wind turbines or you call them... I mean, call them a different name, build more of them or bigger of them or better of them or paint them green or whatever. Yeah. If yeah. there ain't no wind, you ain't got no power. That's yep. the problem. And that's why when steam power came along in 1820, James Watt and, and uh, Matthew Bolton you know, made sensibly, you know, use, generally useful steam engines. Yeah, uh, wind very quickly went out of fashion for the very good reason it was shit. <laughs> it was not very good. It was yeah. Obsolete. And I, I think nowadays we call those kind of steam engines gas turbines, don't we? Um, More or less. Well, the gas turbine is is a sort of development of. Yeah. Um, and a jet engine is a sort of development of. But yeah, y- yeah, they're they're not a million miles away. And, and where do we buy our um, where do we buy our our power? Our deficit power requirements from if we're really struggling then and we don't have enough gas turbine and fossil fuel and we don't uh, have enough wind. Where do we get that from? Well, at the moment, and certainly last last week when we were down to one percent, we were buying a lot of it from France. Yeah, because they've got what what what's that thing called? The uh, nu- nuclear oh. power, nuclear power, John. They've got a lot of nuclear power stations. <laughs> nuclear power, yeah. It's funny yeah. that, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um so when we know, things to bear in mind, wind power really has no advantages to it at all that I can see. It's it's not even free. If it was free, you wouldn't need to erect, spend huge amounts of money on huge constructions to capture it. That, yeah. no, no source of energy is free. That's a, that's a misnomer. And it's not terribly green with all that concrete, is it? It's not very green with all that concrete and with all those heavy metals and all sorts of things. I think I saw some numbers that said over the period of lifetime of a wind turbine, it's it's no more greener than a diesel engine. Yeah, uh, it, it has met, you know much appeal and so forth because it looks nice. Now ah, look, it's pretty and it's natural and all that, but it's also not a very good power source. Uh, and and isn't there a problem if it gets too windy? They are indeed. It's not, not enough wind or too much wind. You have to shut them down. So it's a it's a Goldilocks um, power power source. And and betting betting the future of the country on that does not seem to me to be a good idea. No. If you look at water power, well, mm-hmm. water power is better in the sense that it's not quite so fickle as wind. Yep. Yeah. But yeah. the point being, we know where all the good places to put water power is because we've been doing it for a thousand years by now. We're not suddenly going to discover in the highlands of Scotland or the, the wilds of Thames Valley okay. this fantastic new place and we'll put a water, water mill in. Fantastic. And we're all saved. Well, the whole, what, what about all this newfangled wave power? Wouldn't that ah, work? So newfangled, nobody's ever made it work. Oh, all right. Okay. <laughs> so. Yeah. It's it's been it, that that's like um, nuclear fusion down at Cullen. It's thirty years away, and it's been thirty yeah. years away for the last fifty. Yeah, years. I, I remember it was thirty thirty years away when I was at school. Yeah, yeah, and and it's been more than thirty years since I was at school. Exactly, you've got the point. Yeah, the same. I was thinking today the same thing about tidal power. You know, tides are great. Yeah, and if you go to the Isle of Wight, there's a couple of old tide mills that they abandoned a um, hundred years ago because they weren't really very good. 
Oh, so, right. Tides aren't going to save us. Wave power's not going to save us. Wind's not going to save us. Um, okay, so the, the one that might save us as a decent source of power is nuclear. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh huh. But for superstitious reasons, that's not on the menu. <laughs> so, is, is nuclear, does nuclear fall into the, the net zero category? Well, pretty close, actually. Yeah, there's not right. an awful lot of carbon dioxide being put out by nuclear. But, yeah. like but, I say. But, but nuclear uses a lot of concrete and things as well, though, doesn't it? Yeah, but it produces an awful lot of power, too. Right. So okay. Yeah. Okay. Fair point. You look at things like how much area you need. How much land you need to produce a particular amount of power? Yeah. Then nuclear is very productive in yeah. area terms. Now that, maybe that doesn't matter if you're in Australia, where you've got area coming out of your ears. Yeah. But if you're in the Netherlands or the UK or one of the smaller European countries where they stopped making land a long time ago, instead of covering the land with windmills, which need an awful lot of land, yeah, yeah, do something. Nuclear is very productive. Uh, and but, and they kill a lot of birds. And they kill a lot. Well, so it is said. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, wouldn't, mean, I wouldn't put that high up my list of things to wear, but I put for wind just the fact that when it ain't blowing, you ain't got no power. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I agreed. Um, so, if we're looking at net zero, then what are our options um, for for powering the world, well, the country? Well, let me. Put the other one that people that is new and that they didn't have in the, the two they didn't have in medieval times were nuclear and solar. Right. And solar is an improvement, but mm -hmm. the, the big problem with solar is exactly the same problem as why we have why we have winters. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's seriously true. Why do we have winters? <laughs> I, I, I can, I, I've got a sauce where you're going here, but carry on, please. <laughs> you have winters because at that time of the orbit of the Earth around the sun, yeah. the tilt of the Earth is such that you get a very low sun in the sky. Yeah. Yeah. And therefore, yeah. you get very little radiation. Mm hmm. Yeah. From the, and therefore, there's very little radiation. The air does, the air and the ground do not warm up very much by the radiation. So it is cold now. Yeah. And, 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 and if I if I may give you an example of that, yeah. okay. So I have um I have four hundred watts of solar on the roof of the vehicle. Uh, All right. And and I put it there myself. I, I'm quite proud right. of this. I, I did it all myself, and I put in lithium uh, ion batteries. All right. Uh, and I've got a solar charge control and everything. So in the winter, in the winter, I can I can run. The electrics and whatever for about a day and a half, and then I'm out. Okay, yeah. and and that's that's even with the sun coming up every day because mm -hmm. I run out of power. The batteries will eventually give up after about you know 30, 36 hours. Okay, right. yeah. So if I if in the summer, so at, at that point I then need to switch to what we call shore power, i.e. you plug it into an electrical source. So in the summer. Um, I'm at full battery capacity by 11 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, yeah. And I, mean, I, I can run all my electrics all the time without plugging it in at all. And, and that's great. And, and yeah, that is a new technology. But the disadvantage is that it's in the, probably in the winter when you want the power. Well, that's strangely enough. That's when you need the heat, isn't it? Exactly. And that's, that's the disadvantage of it. It suffers from, from celestial mechanics, which is... In the winter, the days are short and the sun doesn't get very high. So the amount of radiation which powers your solar batteries, solar system, is going to be very limited. Yeah. 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 So, so I'm not going to, I'm not knocking it, but it's not the panacea. It just doesn't no. do what you want when you want it. It's not perfect. If you, if you lived in Egypt or Saudi Arabia yeah. or somewhere like that, I, yeah. I'm, yeah. I, my new next door neighbor comes from Dubai. And mm -hmm. they use a lot of solar power to run their air conditioning in the summer. Yeah, Fantastic. that is a great solution for that yeah. problem. Yeah, yeah. It is not a great solution for if you live in Inverness so, in January and the you've got that usual you know yeah. stuck anti-cyclone keeping it cold and yeah cold and dark and and not nothing moving for two or three weeks. So on that point, right? Mm -hmm. 
Boris was going on about heat pumps, wasn't he? Was. Well, now there, there, there comes the thing. So you're going to the idea of heat pumps is that we must abolish gas central heating because gas burning gas gives off carbon dioxide, and giving off carbon dioxide to the level we're going to will uh, warm the planet and therefore abolish the need. No, that's not. Oh, yes, it will. We'd forgot we wouldn't need the gas central heating if we warmed the planet. <laughs> 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 the idea is that heat pump can replace your gas central heating and yeah what two two things here one uh as i understand it and i don't claim to be an expert but it run everything in a heat pump runs at a lower temperature and therefore the installation yeah. need of radiators and pipe work and tanks and all that effectively therefore the amount of heat you're getting is much reduced. Uh, the so they have to be bigger to get the same. They have to be physically bigger. So yep. you need, instead of having, you know, the little, as I have and perhaps you do or, or other people certainly will, you know, a little cupboard in the uh, kitchen or in the area in the, under the stairs or something and you open the cupboard and there's the boiler and it's a little box of about, I don't know, suit, small suitcase size, yeah. like a trolley bag size. You're going to have to have something much, much bigger than that. You're going to have to then have some installations in your garden, mm -hmm. either buried in the earth or put on the outside of your house, which is great if you happen to have a garden and so forth. If you live in a block of flats, you've got a big problem. You've got to hang it on the wall, don't you? You've got to hang it on the wall. Yeah. And you've probably got to hang it on the wall of all the flats at all the same time. So if you live yeah. in a block of 200 flats, you've Somehow, all of you have got to be able to finance the replacement of the stuff you already got. Or, or you've got to put a, a whole plant on the roof. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe you need to reinforce the roof, and maybe yeah. you need to chuck people out their homes while you do that, and maybe you need to redecorate the houses, and maybe you need to dig up their gardens, and yeah. all to give you some to give you the consumer something that is no better than you have already, and maybe considerably worse. Yeah. And no, got, even even got, Boris has noted that that is politically not acceptable. Yeah. So and you've got to, you've, you've got to what you've got to put in you've got to put in a bigger hot water tank for the yeah. heat pump. Yeah. yeah. And and the heat pump won't heat your domestic hot water because it won't be hot enough for you to have a shower with. That's so right. you have to have an immersion heater for that. And that and then you need and that means you need a greater load on the electricity yeah. which means yeah. you need to generate as a country you need to generate more electricity yeah. and how are you going to do that from the options mm. that we've already discussed that really yeah. don't don't cut the mustard yeah and yeah. i've got to put in either underfloor heating or which underfloor heating's fine because it runs at a low temperature so that works really well but nobody in the uk has underfloor heating right? yep. so so you've got to replace all your radiators with physically bigger radials with yep. a bigger bore pipe because you've yep. got to run more water through to yep. get to get more of a heat exchange at the, the end point, which is the radiator. Yep. Because you know, instead of running 90 degree water, you're going to be running, what, 45 or 50? Yeah. Uh, it's probably not 90 degrees. It's probably about 55, 60, but significantly lower. Yes, you're right. Yeah. 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 You have to do all that. And, yeah, and, and this is for no benefit to you. That's the thing. Yeah, you you yeah. are not getting something better. You are getting something that probably is a lot worse. And and it's going to be noisier because these heat pumps have big fans on them. Oh yeah, it's like having a big air conditioning unit. Yeah, and and you know, you have you ever bought a fan from the store, and and they start off quite quiet. Yeah, they oh, all yeah. get louder, don't they? <laughs> Yeah, I, got, I remember once cleaning out a, oh, what do they call it? Oh, I worked in a factory in, what, one summer, and my job was to renovate the fan that, that brought all the air through. Jesus, it was full of shit. <laughs> Covered in crap and nicotine and, oh, yeah. I don't know. It was a thoroughly unpleasant job. Scraping yeah. this goo off this fan half a day, I think. So, so that's what they really wanted us to start moving towards. That sounds about. Well, that's that's that that is what you have to do to get to net zero if you're going to abolish gas central heating, and they, there is no way to do net zero without abolishing gas central heating. And I cannot see that even the most 
um, enthusiastic green is going to be really leaping at saying, yes, let's do that so I can freeze in the winter. My mum my is dead green, but please turn off her central heating. She'd like, she loves hypothermia. That's not really <laughs> going to be a saleable idea. Yeah. I'm thinking so, my, my, my old mum used to live in Stirling in Scotland and, and in her final years, you know, not, not much was of, of great benefit to her. Yeah. Day, but, but her gas central heating was the one thing that she yeah. absolutely adored yeah. and she would have well, actually, fought you, tooth and nail to keep it. And I see her point. Yeah, you, you bring up a good point there as well because not, not all of the UK has nice new build hyper insulated houses. Yeah. So there's very many houses are, are old and, and constructed yeah. of stone. Some don't even have cavity walls. Yeah. So and, and I'm thinking here I'm looking at my own situation as well because we're living in a house in France just now and it doesn't have a cavity wall. It's got a two foot, two and a half foot thick wall, right? right. But that 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 kind of wall um isn't gonna work well with a heat pump. Oh. Because it's 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 not got the power to heat that mass of of stone, mm. you know, and that's why when you look at how the heating's done in France, it's nearly always by burning wood. Yeah, and and I was actually looking into this um, and and with some interest because I've seen people putting in heat pumps in France, and and some of them have put heat pumps into old stone buildings, and and I don't think they're working. The recommendation here appears to be to go for a pellet burner, which is like a, a wood stove that burns, you know, uh, manufactured wood pellets that are made yeah. from compressed bits of crap wood. Yeah. And the efficiency of these is really, really high. Because when you look at it compared to... Now, we have to remember as well, at this point, and, and still at this point in, in life, gas is still cheap. So... If we were heating a, a traditional stone house in France with gas, we'd be talking about spending 1,600 euros a year. Right. And if we used one of these wood-burning pellet stoves for the same size house, we'd be talking about spending 600 euros a year. Wow. And that's a massive difference. A thousand quid getting on for, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But, but if you put the heat pump in there, the heat pump's about... It's about twice to nearly three times as more expensive than the gas. Yeah, I can imagine so that, it. That's that if you go net zero with heat yeah. pumps, it's going to cost you a fortune. Yeah, yeah, uh, and but you know, the whole thing—the more you look at all these practical problems, the harder it is to understand how on earth without invoking major emergency powers, you know, which would involve troops coming into your house and ripping your ripping your home apart, yeah. um, that this could ever be done. But the, again, it seems to be that uh, legislators haven't thought this through at all. They've just seized upon some nice idea that said, net zero, that's a good slogan, let's do it. Yeah, and it's, it's like, um, it's like the it's a bit like the solar panel boom, you know, the double glazing boom. You've got all these companies now that are jumping on this this bandwagon that they see coming. They see this government grant coming. Well, if if I was, you know, I'd probably be doing the same. Is government yeah. giving you free money? Let's have some. Thanks very much. Yeah. But they're talking about, you know, if the, if the government's giving you four or five grand to put in a heat pump. Mm. Yeah. Okay. A, a good gas boiler, an exceptionally good efficient gas boiler is going to cost you no more than two right yeah but they're going to give you four or five to put in a heat pump but when you actually look at what you've got to do to put the heat pump in it's going to cost you around about 14 or fifteen thousand pounds uh, and and look at it from the other perspective which says if the government's going to give you four thousand pounds a household well if you're going to give you know ten people four thousand pounds, that's fine. But if you're going to give every household four thousand yeah. pounds, there's only one place that four thousand pounds can come from, and that's the other households. Exactly. <laughs> so in the end, yeah. In the end, so you're, you're, you're paying for you've twice. Got to pay you're yeah. paying for twice, and you're paying the extra ten grand on top. Yeah. This is, this is madness. This is not economically sound. 
Well, it's not only not economically sound, it's not politically sound either, because you're getting a worse, you're, you're chucking away something that works yep. unobtrusively, and yep. you're ripping up your house, and you're paying a lot of money to get something that is probably worse than what you already had. And even the most ardent net zeroist is going to be asking, why am I doing this? Yeah, so if they're going to pursue this, two things need to happen. One, gas needs to get more, way more expensive. Don't yeah, well, no, but I mean, if this is what they're going to do, keep an eye on gas prices, because if they start to shoot up, gas mm. has got to be more expensive than electricity. Oh, yeah. And at the moment, it's, it's, it's way below that. About seventh the price per unit of energy that you get, I think I looked at. Yeah, yeah, I mean, gas is really... It's really cheap for what you're getting at the moment, so mm. it, it, it's that they would need to do that, and and secondly, they're going to have to incentivize people to do it, and then these people are going to get caught in the. And well, in fact, some of them have already been caught because the early ones that got the solar panels on the roof, yeah, the solar panels are shite because they just don't work that well because they're so old technology. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can I share another thought with you? I think we must be getting towards the end of our time, but it's just one little thought that occurred to me today yeah, about cool. net zero when I was thinking about our chat. And that's in transport. And be, well, first, first thing, actually, I just very recently, two hours ago, um, reading about the Formula Electric Grand Prix or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. And it was interesting. The guy said, Yeah, the one of the drivers said, Yeah, we can go very fast, he says, but the cars are so much heavier than Formula One cars. They're yeah. much harder to uh harder to drive. Yeah. And uh, when we hit something, we hit it really, really hard because we weigh so much. Because there's so much momentum, yeah. Yeah. And that was kind of an insight because that's telling you something about the and he said and half the weight of the car is the batteries. Yeah. Um, whereas you know a petrol tank on a Formula One car doesn't weigh very much. A petrol, the effective petrol tank, the batteries on a Formula E car weigh a considerable amount of stuff, and it's all rare metals and all those nasty things we have to dig out the ground that may yeah. or may not be in short supply and may or may not be uh, in the hands of nations friendly to us to give them to us. Yeah. So that that was just a, an interesting thought. So. So see, when they started the Formula E series, they they couldn't complete a race with with the car battery. Okay. All right. So they used to come in and change the car. <laughs> so they would start the race in one car and then finish the car the race in a second car because they couldn't change the battery because it was too big and complex. Sure. So they had. So they actually would get out and change cars and then finish the race in the second car. So you go around the first half of the Grand National on Shergar and the second half on Red Rum. Yeah, good yeah. idea. <laughs> right, and okay, technology's come on a bit and they can now they can manage a race on well, they can generally manage a race on one one battery. I have seen them run out of battery. It's quite it is quite ridiculous because I've seen Formula One run out of petrol occasionally, but not very often. But some of these guys were running out of, of juice, you know, with like seven laps to go and things like that. It's crazy. And then what happens? You bring a guy with a diesel generator. No, no, that's that. It's done. You know, you're out. You're out. If you run out of gas, electricity, that's you. You're out. Yeah, I know. But they've still got to get the car started. And oh, yeah. yeah, I know. It's crazy, isn't it? It's anyway, crazy. I, was think I was thinking along those lines. And I was thinking about container ships. Yeah. As if you're going to go net zero, you yeah. have to do that for all your transport. And the biggest sort of form of transport I know of Shipping, is the big, yeah. the big container ship that brings us all our food and our goods and so forth from China and all those places. And you see them going up and down Southampton Water quite a lot. Yeah. That's where the big container, one of the big container ports is. Now, if you want a net zero container ship, you're going to have to get rid of the diesel engines that run them. Yeah, you're going to get rid of the diesel engine. You have, you really have two choices. You can either find you've got some enormous great battery Ooh. that's going to be enough to get you from here to, let's say, in China. China. <laughs> China. 
yeah, all right. 10,000 mile voyage, which might take several weeks. Yep. Yeah. Which would be some bloody great big battery and would make the ship very, very, very expensive. But let's assume it could be done. It's either that or you go back to sales. Yeah, yeah. And, and we know all about sail power and why we got rid of sail power in favour of steam for exactly the same reason we got rid of wind power. When it's not, you know, it's unreliable and fickle yeah. and you are at the mercy of the winds, not you, and you cannot run a regular timetable and all the things that got wind the bad name it deserves. Now, let's assume you've made this huge, great solar battery and you've charged it up. You've been in Southampton and you've charged it up from fantastic net zero green power from the uk we've done it by some miraculous means of wind and wave and all those combinations yeah your ship is fully charged and you go off and you land in bombay yeah at which point you want to charge up your batteries again oh we're back to coal aren't we well you can go back to coal but it's solar batteries it's a electric battery so you charge it up with Electricity, Indian electricity, as you yeah. say, made yeah. from coal. Yeah. So are you actually, when it gets back, was that a net zero delivery or not? Well, no, it wasn't. no, it isn't. All you've done is you just move where you you um, burnt the coal. You've still yeah. burnt the coal. Exactly. Uh, and, and the same would apply if you were ever to, to able to make an electric aeroplane, which would be even less likely once, once you realise that the power-to-weight ratio is in yeah. an aeroplane is crucial, and the battery power-to-weight is, as we've seen even with, just with those Formula E cars, pretty different. Yeah. And, and, and that bit comes, comes down to something simple about storing electricity. When you store electricity, what you need to do is to put all the electrons naturally repel each other. You want to get them more and more and more closer together. Right? Yeah. And when you try to put two things that repel each other closer and closer together, you have to do work to push them together, because otherwise they stay apart. You actually have to apply force. And when you start doing that, what happens when you apply a force like that? It all yeah. heats up. Yep. And that's why things burn out and burn up and so forth. And that's why the chances of getting some breakthrough in battery technology that's going to take us the a thousand times better than we have today which is probably at least a thousand times better is what you'd need to make storing electricity a sensible thing probably so, isn't going to happen and yeah that's a, that's a bit of fundamental physics about the way the universe works it's not a bit yeah. of if only we spent more money on research as the politicians seem to think you know suddenly a miracle will occur so we could, go back, we could go back to the ships Right, yeah, and we could think let's not use diesel, yeah. but let's not go electric, let's stick with a fuel. Okay, so if we made a biofuel, would that not then become net zero? Uh, what sort of biofuel did you well, have in mind? Well, if we think, I, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, I haven't looked into it, it just came to me as we were talking, but. If you think back to the diesel engine when it was first invented, mm. I think mm. Mr. Diesel made it run on peanut oil because oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, diesel, wasn't a, diesel wasn't a fuel at that point. Oh, yeah, you, you can do that. Uh, yes, indeed. And you can run, run diesel suitably modified off vegetable, uh, you know, used cooking oils and things yeah. like that. Yeah. So the, quest, the, the question is getting those in sufficient quantity. Yes, well, I was then thinking, does that mean we need to have a smaller population before you can actually start growing enough biofuel? Eat more, eat fewer peanuts. Well, no, I mean, do we need do we need to reduce the population so we don't need to grow as many crops for people to eat and have more space to grow, you know, for fuel to get goods across? Well, there's an interesting... Um, yeah, I mean, in one sense. Or you I've could say... A, I've just come up with a conspiracy theory that explains the current situation. <laughs> I, I'm never a big one for conspiracy theories. Yeah, I know, I know. But you could say, well, what, if you really want a biofuel, why don't you take a stored biofuel that's already with us? It's called petrol and gasoline and diesel and yeah. coal and all I, those things. 
And and there's the weird thing, and and I touched on this. We had a we had a, a brief chat the other day, and and I, I still need to dig up the um the the confirmation for you, and I will do so. But oil rigs, uh, oil wells that have been exhausted, and mm. then go back to them, they find mm. that there's oil in them again. That's quite mm. interesting. Mm. I'm, I can imagine that you know there's some form of seepage when you yeah. take a pressure off that that you had before when you abandoned a well that there might be some you know dregs left there a bit like a mm -hmm. if you leave yeah. a glass when you finish drinking out of it there's still bits clinging to the glass and it will slowly sink to the bottom. Yeah, well, but if you're getting if you're getting a productive amount of oil out on oil oh, well, yeah. Why not? Like, you've done all the you've done all the work to drill, do all the drilling. Might as well go and suck that out as well. Yeah, yeah. John, Something I think we probably kind of got to the end of our hour now. <laughs> yeah, no, that was that was. Um, I, I've had a great time. I don't know about yeah, you. But I've, I've had a great chat with you tonight, Latimer. I've really enjoyed it. Always good to talk. Yes, very good. And um, and we might even do this again at some point in the future. More than happy to. Always always enjoy the chance to um, talk to like-minded people and maybe provide just one or two insights to other people as well that might, that might make them think a little bit and say, hmm, good point, Rabbit Or Yeah. And, uh, and with that, then, it's good night from Chasing Liberty, from a van in France, and good night from Latimer in uh, a wet and dreary England, yeah? Yeah, the sun's just coming out now. Obviously, our chat has cheered everybody up. It's glorious here. Absolutely glorious. <laughs> Can't say the same here, but at least it's stopped right. And it's good night from him. And good night, Latimer. Good night. Take away those diamonds. I don't need those rocks. A second-hand car and a new pair of socks. I want liberty without conditions. Roll up the carpet from the floor. On my conditions Take away those drums They're too loud Give me a guitar And I'll play to the crowd I want liberty Take away that job, I don't want to work I'll stay at home and play in the dirt I want liberty without conditions I want liberty on my conditions Your line, I want liberty without conditions. Work on the docks or down a hole. Come out at night and pray for your soul. I want liberty without conditions. I want liberty on my conditions. Diamonds, I don't need those rocks A second-hand car And a new pair of socks I want liberty Without conditions Roll up the carpet From the floor I don't want to be your prisoner no more I want liberty Without conditions I want liberty On my Conditions